Welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. I'm Myla Kim. And I'm Ed Gilbreth. In these bonus episodes, you'll hear inspiring stories from people of color in underrepresented spaces and learn about the challenges they had to endure along the way. Hello, everyone. This is Helen Lee, producer of the Every Voice Now podcast. And today we have another special bonus episode for you all on a very intriguing topic as we talk with three different authors about what it means to dethrone white American Jesus. You will hear from Jonathan Walton, author of 12 Lies That Hold America Captive, Steve Tamayo, author of The Life Guide Bible Study on Ethnic Identity, and Chandra Crane, author of Mixed Blessing, who you may have heard on our episode number two this season. All three are on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and all three are a key part of the conference called Dethroning White American Jesus, which is happening very soon. So you'll hear more about that event later on this episode. I am really grateful to these three authors of color for the kind of work they're doing. They are battling against the longstanding effects of white supremacy, white nationalism, and other problems that are entrenched in our systems and structures here in the U.S. And this is not easy work by any means, but all of these three authors have been gracious and yet uncompromising in their honesty and willingness to name the evils that surround us, while at the same time inviting people into this journey from wherever their starting point might be in understanding these issues. So I want to invite you now to listen to these conversations with these three authors, all of whom who carved out time in the middle of busy schedules and family life, and you'll hear some evidence of that at points here and there. But I am so grateful for their work, their words, and these upcoming events that you'll hear more about. So let's dive in. Well, I'm excited to welcome Jonathan Walton, author of 12 Lies That Hold America Captive, to the Every Voice Now podcast today. So welcome, Jonathan. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, as I mentioned, it's been a little while since your book was published. So you actually have more perspective on this journey than some of our other guests. So give me a sense now. It's been a number of months, over a year. You can give me a sense of what, as you look back, uh, were the highlights and maybe even some of the lowlights of the process. The best highlight for me has been the feedback that I got from people post-insurrection, post fake, false, big lies about the election. These are literally chapters and verses in the book that I wrote that I said, hey, if we keep going down this road, this would happen. And so I had a just a really honest conversation with a friend. He said, Jonathan, I just didn't believe you. I bought the book because I know you, but I didn't believe what you were saying. And he goes, I really, I really wish I had taken it seriously. And so that to me is like a highlight and a low light. Like I'm so glad I wrote something relevant and helpful and will be relevant and helpful for, for years. At the same time, I really wish I was wrong. So wish I was wrong about violence, about the church, about masculinity and patriarchy. Like I wish that I was off, but those things bore themselves out. Well, let's talk a little bit about promotion and marketing. Our team would always say things like, man, Jonathan, he knows how to market and promote his work, which is great because sometimes for 
authors, that can be even harder than writing the book is having to go out and market and promote it. So tell me a little bit about where that, those instincts come from. The first book I wrote, I was 17 years old. Um, my mother, I didn't know this at the time, but she mortgaged our house for me to be able to publish my first book of poetry. Oh my gosh. And so, yeah. So like the average income in my town is about $13,000 a year. I remember signing a contract. It was $15,995 to print the first thousand books. At the end of the day, I knew that I had to sell those books. And so I sold them in Rotary Clubs and Ruritan Clubs and Lions Clubs and schools and libraries. And my town was 350 people. You know, the county is 12,000 people. These are not readers, right? But the reality is we have to believe that the words that we're writing are gifts to the people we're giving them to. And so that's where that comes from. So we actually sold, I think, 2,500 copies of that book. We sold them and then did another, another round. And that's how I got to Columbia and then how I published my, the following two books of poetry and toured and did all those things. And so I think that's where it, that's where it comes from. So you talk about these books that you have self-published. So tell me a little bit about that as a potential pathway for potential authors, especially authors of color. Like when should authors of color think about that as a viable way to get their words and ideas out? With the first three books that I wrote, I think self-publishing made sense because it was poetry. And I also, I think it made sense because I was ignorant. I had never been north of Richmond until I was 18 years old. This was a world that was totally new to me. Like I would watch Deaf Poetry Jam on HBO like over and over again, like on my uncle's television because he could afford cable, right? So that's the world that I was in. Once I came out, I remember walking down Publishers Row, like on Fifth Avenue and being like, could my books be there one day? And that's where I think we have to understand who we are and what we're trying to do. I was not and still am not writing to sell millions of books. I would love to do that. That'd be great. Fame and popularity, if your goal is to be famous and write popular things, we won't write anything that's prophetic. You just just won't do it. But if your goal is to actually speak truth, then you will write what needs to be written and come what may. That is good. I mean, no, or I should say very few writers go into this line of work to make a gazillion dollars. I mean, it's just not, (laughs) it's just not the reality of it. And to answer specifically your question, if you believe in what you're writing, then publish the book. There's so many different platforms out there that you can use. And I think it's just understanding that when you write, you're taking a risk and a publisher is willing to take that risk with you. If you don't have a publisher, take the risk yourself. Be intelligent, steward your resources to do it, but just do it. Well, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about your work with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. But tell me a little bit about first what your role is with the ministry and uh, and also the relationship between students these days and reading. So for over a decade, I was the director of something called an urban project in New York City. And we, you know, had, you know, probably 20,000 people come through different programs the last wow. 10 years. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I stopped counting. That's just on a brochure. <laughs> I just gathered things together. But I'm grateful for all those experiences. And, and COVID effectively killed that program. When I came back from sabbatical, I looked at what we were doing and said, what is the most sustainable thing that we can do to still create resources and experiences that help lead people to Jesus, help point the way to, to the Good Shepherd. And so I joined the multi-ethnic initiatives team and brought the, the IVED team, InterVarsity's Experiential Discipleship team, to the national movement 
to see how we could partner and enhance the work that's already happening with the tools and gifts and strategies that we developed in New York and New Jersey. So I would love to hear a little bit more more about some of these things I'm hearing about. I'm hearing about summer book clubs. I'm hearing about conferences. So talk to me about some of these new initiatives that are right around the corner. What Generation Z really needs, the front door is not a book. Like the front door is social media and not advertised social media, not native social media. It's like, who do I know? And I respect and want to be like, that's who people follow. People do not follow brands. They follow people. And people become brands, but they look like individuals. Institutional mistrust is still present for a good reason. But I think people are looking for people to follow. And my hope would be that we create spaces where people follow Jesus. Like, don't, like, I don't need people to follow me as I follow Jesus. Like, I'm not interested in that. (laughs) Let's just follow Jesus together. You know, and so I, I think that's what makes me excited about the, the things that we have coming up because they are products of collaboration and sharing information. So we're going to do a conference at the end of May called Dethroning White American Jesus Healing from Christian Nationalism. And what that is going to speak to is we are not trying to convince people who believe that Christian nationalism is right to come to our conference so we can convince them otherwise. That's not who this conference is for. The conference is for people who have suffered under the race-based, class-based, gender-based hierarchy that exists in our country and how Jesus can speak to that, which is why it's disconcerting to certain demographics. They Mm. don't feel like this conference is for them. Is this an online conference, Jonathan? It is going to be a virtual conference. Yeah. Um, And so it's a virtual conference. Everybody is invited. There'll be debriefing groups and all that stuff. So Brandy Miller an amazing writer, leader, also staff within a varsity, Scott Hall, great writer. I got to publish him in our book last fall. Um, and then Alexa Silva-Tierra, we also published. Wonderful woman of God. Um, she's going to be opening scripture for us. Barnabas Lynn, who former IV staff, and Lenore Three Stars, who I who I've, haven't heard, but I'm so excited for her to, to lead us. And Makaiva Kanui, she's going to be leading us and along with Sylvia on on a day of healing. So I'm I'm excited about what that is offering. And it's true like this is for a niche group of people, but that niche group of people is large. And so after that, the reality is we know we can't conference ourselves out of white supremacy. We can't have like a mountaintop experience and everything is okay, but we have to go deeper. And people are hungry for that. If we look at generation Z and we look at how our lives function, we want to scroll to the next thing. Right? And so the next thing is that book club. And so every week there'll be discussions, groups that are streamed on every platform that there is, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, like Twitch, all the things. And that will be streamed. There'll also be like TikTok videos and Instagram stuff in Jesus name, um, <laughs> trying to, to just make, th- make it easier for people to grab onto. And, and I'm hoping that people will read the whole book. I'll be talking specifically about Christian nationalism. Then we'll be diving into Steve Tamayo's book, you know, about ethnic identity. And then the following month, we'll be looking at white supremacy through Chandra Crane's book, Mixed Blessing. Um, but I'll be leading those discussions. We'll have the authors each week. We'll have Instagram stuff each week. We'll have newsletters each week for people who still read email. Um, <laughs> and we'll be trying to just go hashtag beyond the book, right? Because we, we can talk to the authors. This stuff is happening right now. We'll be able to engage more faithfully. And then we'll be launching those cohorts in the summer and in the fall. 
I love the strategy there. That makes so much sense. And it fits with everything you've been saying about giving Gen Z a front door through some mediums that they are more comfortable with, enjoy, and just use all the time. And then the book becomes a 201. Is this um, conference and then the subsequent book clubs open beyond just University Christian Fellowship or is it Absolutely. for students? I think that's another thing that we've learned. And I, I talk about pretty regularly, like no one downstream of colonization, which is everybody, right, can, has been discipled out of white supremacy, like out of patriarchy, like out of these things. And so I can't send a student to a church and I know where the pastor went to seminary and say, yeah, you'll be accepted and it'll be just fine. Like, so no, like this discipleship is for everyone because the church is desperate for leaders who can actually lead people out of um, what I would say the three, if if colonization and white supremacy was a, was a three-legged stool, right? Race, gender, and class. And like, we, we have to disciple people out of idolatry. And I think it starts there. And so I'm excited to offer that to everybody. Thank you, Jonathan, for being on our show, for just taking a few minutes to talk about both these experiences and your book and your publishing journey. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. I am grateful to be here and grateful to serve. And if anybody has any questions, they can just go to experientialdiscipleship.com. Nice. Click on events and it's all there. We will make sure we link to all those things in the show notes and help people find you and get your social media handles in our show notes as well. So we'll do all those things. Thank you again, Jonathan. Thank you, ma'am. Well, we need to take a quick break, but when we return, we'll talk with our next guest, Steve Tamayo, author of the Life Guide Bible Study, Ethnic Identity. And we'll talk about his publishing experience, including the topic of what it's like to face critique and criticism as an author. So stay tuned. And thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. It won't surprise you to know that we think reading is a great way to feed your heart, mind, and soul. And IVP can help. Visit everyvoicenow.com and you'll find new and forthcoming releases from IVP by authors of color. And stay tuned for a special discount on today's featured book. Welcome back to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Helen Lee, and with us today is our guest, Steve Tamayo, the author of the Life Guide Bible Study, Ethnic Identity. And later in the show, we'll share how you can receive a special discount on Steve's book, as well as on all of the books that we're mentioning in this episode. So welcome, Steve. Thanks for having me, Helen. Steve, I'd love for you to start by giving us a little bit of background on your just personal backstory. Where did you grow up? What's your ethnic background? And then just share some highlights of your own ethnic identity journey, if you will. I grew up in Tampa, Florida. My family has bounced around all over the place. My dad and his family are from Cuba. That's their heritage. And my mother, her Dad is from Spain, and her mom is white and from South Carolina. And actually, in a pretty extraordinary story in and of herself, moved from South Carolina to Ybor City in Tampa in the 1940s as a white woman in uh, really remarkable crossing ethnic and cultural mm. lines. Mm. You have a fascinating history and heritage. Tell me a little bit about how that was all played out in your own family as a child growing up? How did those intersections uh, manifest themselves in your own family life? Yeah, so my family is 
very visibly diverse. So my dad has darker skin, darker hair, more Hispanic, traditionally Hispanic looking features. Uh, I'm blonde. I have blue eyes, light skin. And actually, I have three brothers and every other one of us, we've got a, a blonde a blonde kid, a brown kid, a blonde kid, and a brown kid. And growing up, I actually grew up in many ways loving my Latino heritage and at the same time struggling to figure out what it means to be ethnically mixed. Trying to figure out what that means has been incredibly confusing. Mm. What helped you get through the confusion? What were the things that led you to places of clarity and self-acceptance of your own ethnic identity? Books are always good. I, I, I don't know if that's answer, the right answer, answer, right? That's like the Sunday answer. school. It's like the Sunday, the Sunday school answer is to always say Jesus yeah. on an IVP podcast, always say books. Absolutely. Books, <laughs> books have been incredibly helpful. Having mentors and conversations of various different ethnic backgrounds have been highly impactful. And lastly, and maybe this is a on-ramp to talking about the Bible study, engaging scripture. I had this experience as a college student. I was leading a Bible study on Ephesians and was totally prepared to find the gospel in Ephesians. For it's by grace we've been saved through faith. This not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I'm like looking for the gospel. And I was shocked to find ethnicity in Ephesians. And over the years, I have found ethnicity everywhere in the Bible. God has so much to say about our ethnic heritage and our ethnic identity. I wasn't expecting to find that. I grew up around Catholic theology, white evangelical theology, and just had no understanding that the Bible spoke about ethnicity, understood ethnic brokenness, understood assimilation, and offered guidance for me. Yes. Well, you have obviously distilled that working out of those questions into your Bible study. I'm holding it up. I know that our podcast listeners can't see what I'm holding up, but it's uh, it's Steve's Bible study, which is titled Ethnic Identity, Bringing Your Full Self to God. So this message that you're communicating, even in the title of your Bible study, is, is healing in and of itself. I'm really glad to hear that. I, I have found as I've worked through this content with people in church, with religious leaders, with college students and faculty over the years, that one of the things that they find as they engage with what the Bible has to say about ethnicity is they do find healing. Sometimes they find healing for wounds they didn't even register as wounds. I think that what you're doing in this Bible study is demonstrating how Scripture has all this guidance, all this information, all this uh, evidence that God cares about our ethnicity and has been very intentional in the way he has designed us all with that kind of identity. So I would love for you to talk even a little bit about how for you writing this particular Bible study, like how was that for you potentially a healing process? You know, it, it it was a process that had healing at the end of it. I, I wrote it and then kind of, it was months before I got edits back. And I remember opening up the doc and rereading it. And Stephen King talks about this in his book on writing, where he talks about taking your writing and just dropping it in a 
desk drawer and leaving it there for six months. I read it and I'm like, this is great. It's good, yeah. <laughs> my first thought was actually that the editor had already gone through and made changes. I, I That was what I thought. I was so, so surprised by how engaging the conversation was th- throughout the, the questions and how it managed to be both accessible and pretty deep. And I also just felt this delight that it wasn't centered only on white voices. It, it includes a white perspective, but there are times where it's very clearly written by a mixed person, an ethnically mixed person, where I ask kind of, think about your ethnic heritages. You know, and it's pluralized. No one else may notice that. Actually, Chandra will notice that. No one else may notice that, but it is, it is, it just it felt like a delight to see something in a voice like mine out there. I feel humbled to know that I have colleagues who could have produced something very similar and that that my writing is unique because it comes from me, not unique because no one else could have addressed the topic. And I do appreciate the way that having a community around me, it takes a little bit of the pressure off. It's not, hey, if I don't write this, no one will. It's a like, I get to write this. And then to hear from so many people as they're engaging with it, like, yes, I've wanted something like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your study was absolutely a gift and will continue to be a gift and a blessing for, I think, for generations, seriously, in terms of the the topic it addresses. And I can just imagine generations of students and, and university staff, you know, using it with students. and It'll have just ramifications oh, yeah. for you generations to come. I'm guessing you probably also have experienced a little bit of the of the dark side of writing too. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that piece of it. Have you experienced critique and criticism, especially given the nature of the topic? Because I think this topic is still a little touchy in the church where there's a lot of different opinions about it. So give me a sense of what that journey has been like. Well, I'll just tell you a quick story. So one of the things that InterVarsity Press does for, for IVP authors is they do some social media advertising. And they put up a copy of the ethnic identity Bible study with a quote. It was wonderful. I so appreciated them marketing the book. And then I watched the comments roll in. And there were things that people said in the comments for the ad that if I read them out loud, you wouldn't be able to publish this episode. There were comments that were dismissive, that were cruel, that were insulting, that were accusatory, you know, questioning my faith and my orthodoxy. And people who made those comments acknowledging that they had not read the book. That they had not, they had not, they had not even looked at the sample of the Bible they study that was online. Judging the book by the cover only, or by the literally, title only. Literally judging Gosh. the book by its cover, wow. and and I felt this tremendous pain and humiliation and tension, and I I ended up having comments in the direct messages of Facebook with many of these people. I had one person who published an article. Um, criticizing the the Bible study, among other things. And uh, it was actually a college student. And I 
detected humanity there and uh, sweetness. And we actually hopped on, you know, I, I reached out to her via Twitter. We had hopped on a, a Zoom call and she was gracious. She was kind. She gave me feedback on the sample chapter that she had engaged with. And we had a human moment. We, we don't agree on everything. And yet I felt so grateful that it it wasn't just a critic taking a shot in the dark, but a human being connecting with another human being. I actually sent her a copy of Knowing God by J.I. Packer, a great IVP book that she was interested in reading. And um, I, I've found connection in this, which is, which is I, I think there's this narrative happening that says that conversations about ethnic identity, about race, about culture, that that we need to move into our own corners and camps and wag our fingers at people who disagree with us and and label them as evil. And I've actually found it to be an opportunity to show love and lean into maybe some of that's my mixed ethnic heritage. I, I would like to think that some of that is my walk with Jesus, that it creates a new capacity to love people who are different from me, which is at the heart of racial reconciliation. Absolutely. I'm really grateful for you sharing sharing that story. And our time is going super fast. So I, I know we could spend so much more talking about the nuances of your publishing journey, but I'd love to hear a little bit about what it is you're doing right now for university, because I, I feel like I've heard about it, but I don't know if I know all the details. So explain what it is you do for those who are listening. Yeah, I work for InterVarsity's Creative Labs and Multi-Ethnic Initiative and I also work for InterVarsity's Latino Fellowship. So one of the things that our Creative Labs team is doing is trying to figure out how do we build relationships with college students before they get to campus or when they're not on campus. We're using things like advertising, content marketing, all kinds of innovative strategies to try to build those relationships because that's the context in which real discipleship happens. So what we're offering is reading in community. So every month they're going to get an opportunity to dialogue, interact with the author. They're gonna get an opportunity to dialogue with each other, to process application steps. And then they're going to get an email letting them know what their next steps are. So if you've read the Ethnic Identity Life Guide Bible Study, what do you do next? And I think that what do you do next is incredibly important. Even if the next step is to read another book, that's okay. What we don't want is for students to have their journey stop. So we're making this available. It's going to be available for free. People can actually get a discount on the books through the IVED Reads program. You're creating here a way to create that sense of community with those students, which I think is wonderful, as well as encouraging them to read great books. Well, we will make sure we get that link in our show notes so people can find out more if they're interested. So thank you so much for all that great information and also for just sharing your story with us, Steve. It was really delightful to have you on the show. Thanks, Helen. Well, we need to take one more break, but when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Chandra Crane, author of Mixed Blessing, and she'll tell us about some other innovative events that are happening in the days ahead that will showcase all of these books and authors you're hearing about today. We'll be right back. The world keeps changing at a dizzying pace. 
How can you stay current and discover biblical truths to meet today's challenges? Introducing Seminary Now, a new online, on-demand streaming service where you can learn from gifted teachers such as Brenda Salter McNeil. The world as God intended is a multicultural, multilingual, multi-ethnic, and multinational place. James Chung. What is the gospel? Is it just about where you go when you die? Esau McCulley. When we look at the injustice in the world, we're going to address the perennial issue of slavery. And we're going to talk about the ways in which the Bible was misused to justify the oppression of black and brown people. And there are so many more great teachers to learn from. Get a 20% discount off your subscription by using the code EVN2020 at seminarynow.com. That's EVN2020 at seminarynow.com. The world keeps changing. Don't stop learning. You're listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, and I'm Helen Lee. Today, we've been talking with three of our authors of color, all of whom who are also staff workers at University Christian Fellowship. And now I'm excited to welcome back to the Every Voice Now podcast, Chandra Crane, author of Mixed Blessing. Nice to have you back, Chandra. Thanks, Helen. It's great to be back. The Enneagram 4 part of me is just tickled to sounds so professional. Welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) And indeed, you are the only author we've had back for a second time. So you are unique indeed. And that should feel good to your Enneagram for soul. Yes. (laughs) And so of course, your book released in the middle of the pandemic, which is crazy (laughs) unusual. Just tell me a little bit about how that journey has gone for you these past number of months. What surprised you? What has been challenging perhaps just anything you want to share about what you have seen and experienced these last few months it's been been a lot <laughs> it's been a lot of work it's been a lot to process it's been a lot with everything else of course going on in life both personally and then just for the entire world i think one thing that surprised me was how much virtual actually brought there's still a loss right there's still a loss of not getting to have an in-person book launch party and not getting to travel around. But I think I am pleasantly surprised and really grateful the ways in which having the virtual aspect actually really brought connection I wasn't expecting. I've also been really excited at how my creative side has come out. Um, with having to adjust and adapt and make the best of it. And in fact, seeing the ways in which things have come about that never could have in a pre-COVID world. I would love to know if there have been any particularly meaningful interactions with readers that have really touched you. One particular brother that I've been able to connect with over Twitter is mixed. So he saw some of my tweets and we started interacting. And when he said, I'm thinking about my mixed heritage, maybe for the first time. That was so powerful. That was so powerful. And recently having another conversation with someone on Twitter where I got to explain, I thought they were joking when they said, tell me more about this mixed Jesus. And I said, well, I don't know if you're serious or not, but here's what I'll tell you. Getting to explain to them was so powerful. I just was giddy for the rest of the day. 
I know you mentioned that like several tweets you use to be able to explain this idea of mixed Jesus for our listeners, for whom this might be a new concept. Can you just encapsulate the content of what you shared in those tweets? Jesus intention, the triune God's intention was always for the kingdom to be multi-ethnic. And it's not even that Jesus was mixed. It's that Jesus was Jewish and Jewish, Jewish was always supposed to be mixed. The Jewish kingdom, which is the kingdom, right? The people of God was always intended to be more than a pure bloodline and lineage. And we see that in Jesus because it's not even that there are mixed folks included in Jesus heritage and they're all upstanding citizens and fantastic. And it's also not that they're all Jewish folks included and some of them were broken. Great. It's both. Jesus has some sketchy lineage, don't we all? So it is these women who have been much maligned, which is an entirely different theological conversation in some ways. It is Ruth, it is Rahab, it is Bathsheba, it is Tamar. They are the ones who have come through many odds, who have made some choices that we might even consider to be scandalous, who have endured Right. And so all of these characters and these women and these ethnicities were always part of God's plan. We see his intent for the nations and his love of different ethnicities and his diverse kingdom reflected in the lineage of Jesus. It's right there in Matthew 1. Um, if we have ears to hear, if right. we're willing to listen. Right, right. Well, this conversation actually fits in perfectly with this conference that we've been talking about. So just tell us a little bit more about, from your perspective, why it's important for us to even be thinking about a theme like that and how your book concept and ideas really fit in with that conference theme. I think in this cultural moment, some folks would say that it can be uh, an agree to disagree type thing, or it can be just a um, negotiable. I think you're going to be doing just as much work on either side. Either we're going to be doing the work to see Brown, Middle Eastern, North African, multi-ethnic Jesus, where he is already and where he belongs on his throne, or we're going to be doing active work to blindly continue to support are enthroning of a white American Jesus. I don't think there's a simple, oh, well, I'm just going to stay out of this. It doesn't concern me anymore. Like it's been made very clear. You're either going to do the work for or against the kingdom. And so I want to do the work for the kingdom. I want to be where Jesus is. And so drawing on that theme too of we're either going to work for or against, but there's no neutral ground. Um, I want to be very, very clear in where I stand. I want to do the work to be where Jesus is with the marginalized. Um, that, that feels like a very strong calling to me. And so that's where things like the conference and the reading club and, and the book come in is this is, this is where, this is the work I will do. This is the work I will continue to do to say, no, I stand with the marginalized. I reject, um, the alluring call of power and privilege. Um, instead, I will steward them. And I, God willing, with the power of the Holy Spirit, I will steward them well. In your work with InterVarsity, you obviously work with both students and faculty. So you're in that university setting and world. Is it different in the, that context with the younger generation? So serving faculty, certainly, but the, with the summer reads, 
we're definitely targeting this next generation of students, these gen, these Gen Z students. I think they are hungry to take away all thrones. I think they've seen so much abuse of power that they definitely want white American Jesus off the throne, but they see believers and non-believers, they see their own hunger to occupy the throne as well. And so they're, they're wary of it. And so I think the good news we can give them is Jesus is still on the throne, which right, that was lobbied at us after Trump was elected. Don't be so anxious. Jesus is on the throne. But no, Jesus, really brown, scarred, beautiful, but not attractive to men. He is sitting on his throne. Jesus has always been on the throne. But the principalities and the powers, they are still strong. They're in their death throes. They're still taking us with them the best they can. So here's work to do. One of the things I love about hearing you talk about the work you and Jonathan and Steve are doing, and of course, others in the multi-ethnic ministries, is it's, it's such a more nuanced and complex conversation than sometimes what I see in the church, which is very much race as a black, white, binary kind of conversation. So just talk to me a little bit about that from your own experience and even from writing the book. What do you feel like you have come to believe strongly about the role that mixed identity Christians can play in this conversation? And what's what's lost if their voices aren't there at the table? When we're not there, the conversation is just flatter. It has no nuance. I, I say it, it doesn't. Of course, it, it can. But in general, the conversation, if the conversation is missing any marginalized group, that's a loss. And I think when we look at Revelation 21, the kingdom is multi-ethnic. There are multi-ethnic individuals in the kingdom, namely Jesus himself. But I feel like when a mixed person enters the room, because we change the space by our very nature, because we break down those dichotomies, because we bring uh, a little bit of awkwardness, because the world doesn't know how to react to us, not because there's anything inherently wrong with being multi-ethnic, but because in fact, multi-ethnicity is the norm, is the norm but mono-ethnic folks don't know what to do with it, so it feels awkward. We are a small part of dethroning white American Jesus because there's no nuance in white American Jesus, right? There's no multi-ethnicity in him. There's no kindness or gentleness in him. Uh, so when we walk in and just stand there next to this throne, which has been usurped and just kind of shrug our shoulders, like, mm, that's not the whole story. That, that disrupts spaces that changes the narrative that changes the norms. It makes a difference. And I think it empowers other people of other diverse lineage and of other marginalized communities to also speak up. Yeah. Well, I think this is giving us an amazing taste of what the conference will be like. If you are enjoying yes. this conversation, the nuance of it, the richness of it, the complexity of it, I think that is what you'll be able to expect from Dethroning White American Jesus, the conference, as well as the Summer Book Club with all three of your books, which all do an amazing job at disrupting this exact narrative that you're talking about. So I am so grateful to you, Chandra, to your colleagues. Jonathan and Steve, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what emerges from this summer and all the events that you have planned. So thank you so much for all Thanks, of that. <laughs> thank you. This has been great. And now we want to share with all of you that you can find all three of these books we've been talking about today at ivypress.com. 
And if you use the code EVN40, EVN40, you can get 40% off all these books and more and free U.S. shipping. So visit our site at ibpress.com to get that wonderful deal on these great books by Jonathan, Steve, and Chandra. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast brought to you by IVP. Our producer is Helen Lee, and our sound engineer is Jonathan Clausen. If you are enjoying our show, we'd be grateful if you'd share about it with your friends. Please review and recommend us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we love getting your feedback. So get in touch with us with your comments, critiques, or questions. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Every Voice Now, or you can email us at evn at ivypress.com. And join us next time for another inspiring episode of Every Voice Now. <laughs>